But I want to welcome everybody to Sunday today. I want to welcome those in the room. And we do this throughout the service, but I want to do it first. I want to welcome those who are watching online. So those of us who are here, come on, can we welcome each other to church today? It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord together. It is always a good day. I enjoy the worship. I love having this opportunity as a church just to lift up our praise. Uh, I love the new song we did, just just to lift up joyous praise to the Lord. Continue to praise him. Now, normally throughout the year, when we hit this part, we're normally in a series. All right, everybody, we we either preach through a topic of the Bible or maybe a book of the Bible. or We just finished up a character study on the prophet Elijah. And so as a church, we move through series throughout the year. But normally in the middle of the summer, uh, we do a series we call Summer at Victory. And let me just tell you what that is. And that is each Sunday, uh, I or one of the pastoral staff, we pick a topic that maybe doesn't need an entire series preached on it, all right? You could probably get it in just one Sunday. But we preach a topic that maybe we missed throughout the year or something that's on my heart or one of the pastor's heart that the Lord has laid on us that just something that we feel the church needs to hear. Uh, and so what th- I would treat these Sundays are as kind of one Sunday tune-ups. Each week is one idea. Each week is one thing that I feel like we should learn as a church. Or maybe in conversations I've had with some of you. And I don't name names. Those of you getting nervous right now, all right? But just conversations I may have had throughout the year. Or things the Lord has laid on my heart that I feel like we as a church need to hear. That we need to study in His Word. And so to kind of set up today this one Sunday idea kind of message, let me ask you a question just to kind of get us into this. And that's starting off summer at Victory. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever found a gift for somebody? Or have you ever looked for a gift for somebody, found the perfect one that matches them to a T, found the incredible gift from out of nowhere, left field, you bought that gift, you wrapped it up in its special paper, you presented it to them, and they did not care. Anybody, show of hands today, anybody ever given a gift, right, that you found? Like you did the work, you put in, you didn't just search Amazon, you searched Etsy too, come on, you put in the hours, right? You've been searching for that perfect gift, you, or you handmade it. Some of you who are angels on earth, you handmade a gift for them. You crocheted, you stitched, right, you did all the work, you whittled, whatever it is that you do. You presented that gift to them, and you got nothing. You didn't get a response, or maybe you just got kind of indifferent. Yeah, maybe they didn't even look at it. Maybe if you're a parent, they just played with the box instead, right? Come on, parents, you know, right? As a parent, you're like, give it back. I'll take it back to the store and get my money back. Like, you could just keep playing. Come on. So you've given a gift, though, that happened. Isn't it the worst thing ever? Travel back with me. In third grade, I gave a gift. Come on, everybody. I gave a gift to somebody that I thought was the most perfect. I just worked on this. I gave this gift, and they did not care. In fact, a few hours later, we went out to recess that day, and I came back in for something. And there in the trash can next to the teacher's desk was my gift. Yeah, oh, you guys can do that. Thank you, Mom, for your support. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just completely disregarded, didn't care about the gift. It's the worst feeling ever that you feel about that. Now for the first pastor gotcha moment of the summer. How much more, infinitely more, how do you think Jesus feels? When he left heaven, came to earth, sacrificed everything for us, was tortured, shed blood, was crucified, died, kicked some devil tail, come on somebody, rose from the dead, gave us access to the very throne room of heaven by prayer, did everything for us, gave us his living word, did all of these things for us, sacrificed everything, came, gave up his kingdom in heaven, came to earth, lived as one of us, died in our place, did all of this for us. And we can go day in and day out 
and not even think about him or the gift that he gave. Not, even, not that we're disregarded. We don't even think about it. That we don't. So this one idea, this series, one idea per Sunday, I want to talk about this morning what I'm going to call spiritual apathy. Come on, it got quiet in this church today, all right? Everybody? We're going to talk about spiritual apathy, indifference. It's, not, it's an idea, by the way, that's not new to our generation, though you might think that it is. Because our generation has been called the meh generation, right? M-E-H. Just kind of meh. Like, how are you doing spiritually? Meh. Are you, are you living out of purpose in this world? Meh. What, what do you care about? What, what gives you purpose in the morning? Meh. Sound almost like a sheep, right, this morning. Like, meh, meh. We, just, we just have this meh generation. But it's not new to us, even though maybe we have perfected it. But in the Bible, Jesus actually wrote seven different letters. And if you don't know that, they're actually pretty powerful letters you should read. They're recorded in the book of Revelation. And Jesus actually wrote seven different letters. And one of those letters, he wrote to a particular church that was kind of like the meh generation of their time. They were kind of like us in their particular generation, especially when it came to spiritual ideas. And that church was in Laodicea. And I'll give you a little background on that because this was a pretty powerful community in that day. And about 35 years before the letter was written, Laodicea had been destroyed by an earthquake. And so the community came together and they rebuilt. And they rebuilt strong. So we're talking theaters, stadiums. We're talking lavish baths, all these things. This is the happening place to be. You think modern day Dubai, Tokyo. This is the city that they rebuilt with all this. The only problem with the city is they had an inadequate water supply. And you can imagine how that would cause some trouble. Those of you who have ever had your water shut off or you've ever lost it or you've had water where they said, well, you couldn't drink from the tap, but you have to drink. An inadequate water supply, you can imagine how this would create problems for the city. And so what they did in Laodicea is they built these massive aqueducts to bring in water from a nearby city of Heropolis. And I just want to pause and say Heropolis sounds like where superheroes are born. All right, I just had to give that to you guys. But they built these aqueducts to bring in the water from Heropolis. Heropolis was known for its hot springs. And so you would take hot baths, and it was known for this around. It was famous for the hot baths. Problem was, the aqueducts were so long, by the time the water got to Laodicea from Heropolis, it was no longer hot. It was dirty. It was tepid. It was lukewarm. And so Jesus writes this letter to the church in Laodicea, and he uses terminology that this church would have understood very, very well. They would have understood the words that he uses. And so this lands with them culturally. And so just the context for you. So we'll pick it up in Revelation chapter 3. Let's look at it. Verse 15. And Jesus is writing to this and he says, I know your deeds. Everybody say that with me today. I know your deeds. How many want Jesus to say that to you? How many would like to hear that in prayer? I know your deeds. In other words, I know what you've done. I know what you did last week. How many of you, if we put what you did last week up on the screen, how many are just bursting with spiritual passion and just incredible passion for the things of God, just purpose, walking out those things? How many would want to hear this from Jesus? But he says, I know your deeds. I know how you're living. I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. Each one serves a purpose is what he's saying. But you're not either one. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about... I'm about to write you a strongly worded letter and that's it. I'm about to just tell you how unhappy I am. I'm about to tell you how you're breaking my heart. None of those. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's going to get a little gross today in church. All right, everybody says because you're lukewarm, because of this lukewarm water, you know very much about you've got an idea of what he's talking about. He said, because you're neither hot nor cold, either one of those serves a purpose, but you're neither one. 
I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What was Jesus saying to Laodicea? He's saying you are spiritually stale. You are depressingly detached. You are as far away. After all that I've done, after all I've given you, after all the purpose I've sown into you, it's like you don't even care. It's like you don't even care. Here's what I want you to notice. When he says, I'm going to spit you out, what he's literally saying, the word there, the literal translation is, I want to vomit. I want to vomit you out. I want to, that's what it means. Jesus is saying your spiritual indifference, your spiritual apathy, your the way you don't care about what I've done, the way you just kind of settled into this lukewarm spirituality, it makes me want to vomit. I want you to see here, it doesn't just break his heart, it turns his stomach. And so for a lot of you, I know when we say, well, that breaks the heart of God, or this breaks, that doesn't land with a lot of you, but I know all of you Cajuns understand turning of the stomach, all right? You understand what this means, where he's saying, it's not just breaking my heart, it's turning my stomach, that it don't seem to care at all. It makes me want to spit you out. How are you doing spiritually? Meh. Meh. Jesus hates spiritual apathy. So what I want to do is I want to kind of build a foundation, two ways, two reasons that we have spiritual apathy. Two reasons, right from the words of Jesus. Now, there would be many, but I want to look from this chapter and talk about two different, two different things that Jesus talks about that would cause spiritual apathy in your life and in mine. First thing I would call is the illusion of self Sufficiency. If you're taking notes, jot this down today. Self-sufficiency. This is what Jesus says in the next verse to the Laodiceans. Here's what he says. He says, you know, you say I am rich. You say I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. In other words, I've got all that I need. You say that I'm, I'm good. I've got it all that I need. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't realize that you think you have what you need, but you don't have what matters most. You think you have what you need. And so often, quite honestly, in today's culture, if you've ever had a conversation with somebody about spiritual things, whether at the gym or at the restaurant or on a plane, if you've ever had that where the topic of spirituality or eternity comes up, the response you will get most often is, I'm good. I don't need that. I'm, I'm good right where I am. Everything's kind of going. I got my car, right? I got my, got my iPhone, just got it upgraded. I got my Netflix. I got my Snuggie. Come on. I got, I got everything I need. I'm good. I've got what I need in this life. And Jesus is saying, you have material stuff, but you are spiritually void. You have the mystery. You're full of things of this world, but you're lacking what truly matters. Your life is full of stuff, but empty of meaning. He's saying, you, you think you have everything, but you don't even recognize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Why is it that we are so drawn to things of this world when things of this world never, ever satisfied? It's like we, we constantly are tricked by the next thing. And we think, if I have it, if I have it, then I'll be good. He's saying, you don't even recognize how wretched, pitiful, blind, poor, spiritually bankrupt that you are. It's the illusion of self-sufficiency. Another cause is what I would say would be just distractions of this world. So not just that we're relying on ourselves, but we're distracted by what causes the spiritual apathy, distractions of this world. We're simply distracted. Now, if you watch and pray with us on Wednesday nights, we studied this this past Wednesday. We studied this verse. Jesus talks about it. He tells a parable about a farmer in Mark chapter 4. He tells this parable about a farmer who's throwing some seed out. And some of the seed begins to take root and starts to grow. And so Mark four nineteen, Jesus talks about it. And he says, but the worries of this life. So this seed that's starting to grow. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in. And they choke the word. And so he said the seed was cast, the seed took root, the seed started to grow, but the worries of this life started to choke out the word that was heard. 
the word that was taking root, the word that was going. And so, I mean, let's just call it what it is, because I think this is a lot of your story. This is my story. We start to feel spiritually challenged in moments. We start to feel God's word come alive to us. We start to read it and to apply it, and we see his word working, and we start to become spiritual. Some kind of momentum starts to build, and our spiritual, our spiritual man starts to grow, and then all of a sudden, life happens. Life happens. Our kids got a problem with something, or, or the car breaks down, the air condition goes out, right? Or we, we've got we've to discipline one of our children in something. We've got to go here. We've got to do this. We've we got to run this thing here. There's dishes, and there's things that pile up, and all of this starts, and it's, ah! And life happens, and it chokes out the word. And we didn't mean for it to happen. We didn't intend for it. It's not like we, we sat down and wrote down, I want to choke out the spiritual word that I gained this week. That's what I want to do. But life starts to happen, and we get distracted. We get our eyes on Jesus, and then we get our eyes on all this stuff over here. And it's like, I still love Jesus, but I'm just kind of tired, and I still got this busy things. And we didn't mean for it to happen, but we've become spiritually apathetic, become spiritually bankrupt. Two causes of apathy, self-sufficiency, distractions of the world. What happens? Why do we see this so often in our world today? Well, we'll just call it like it is all over the world, especially though in our part of the world. Especially in our part of the world, there are so many people who have just enough of Jesus to feel comfortable. They have just enough of Jesus in their life to feel a little bit of comfort about eternity and to feel like, well, I, I think I've got the fire insurance, and so I just, I just need him just a little bit in my life. I, I said a prayer, and I, I was baptized when I was a kid, and so I think I've got enough. And every so often I might show up at church, and every so often I might, you know, help somebody and just to kind of make myself feel good. i got enough of Jesus to feel comfortable, but not so much of him that I feel conviction for my own sinfulness. Not, not enough of Jesus that I feel conviction or passion over my own sin, that I, it would cause me to, to turn from it, to live for Jesus, to give him glory every day. I don't have enough of that. Just enough to feel good about ourselves, but not so much that it truly changes us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this. What is Jesus writing about? Lukewarm spirituality it didn't just break his heart, it turned his stomach. It made him want to vomit. So how do we know if we're living with this type of indifference? How do we tell? What are the warning signs that we see? And so I wrote down a few of these that I've seen in my own life uh, and in others. And so let me say it this way before we get into this. Many of you will have one or two of these warning signs. I've had them all. All right, everybody? So no condemnation this morning. This is a tune-up. We're going to fix some things in our spiritual walk. We're going to walk this back to that. This is not me from up on high preaching down and saying, oh, you bad people, how wretched you are. How can you not have this out of your life already? These are things that I have struggled with every single one of these. And I wanted to make sure of that, this list, that you may see one or two. But today we're going to fix some things. All right, everybody, you with me today? We're going to fix a few things in our spiritual walk. How do we know if we're living with lukewarm apathy? First thing, if you're taking notes, number one, we value the opinion of people over the approval of God. We, we value the opinion of other people. We constantly, in our culture, we run and we hear, do you like me? Do you like my music? Do you like my style? Do you like my clothes? Do you like the way that I talk? Do you like my jokes? Do you like, do you like me enough? Do you, am I a part of the group? Am I, and we run after this approval. And we ask, do people love us? Do they like us? Do they like what we're doing? And we change ourselves according to people's approval. We change ourselves according to whether or not it got enough likes on whatever our platform of choice is. If it didn't get enough likes, we're going to change ourselves by next week to ensure that it got enough likes. And we run after the approval of people. We're obsessed with what people think over what God thinks. And 2 Timothy talks about this in end times. It says people will be lovers of themselves. Like me, love me, 
Selfie, right? Just like it, like it, like me, love me. Jesus said this. He said, woe to you when everybody likes you. Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. Woe to you when everybody seems that if we're so concerned with what people think about us, we'll never live completely for what God thinks about us. Number two, second indicator that maybe we have grown a little spiritually apathetic. Our eyes are fixed on earth rather than eternity. We got our eyes fixed down here on earth rather. It's all about what can I get now? We're obsessed with the things of this world. And it's never one of you, know, none of us, right? We've always seen, we know somebody who's obsessed with the things of this world. But somehow we've, we grow obsessed with things. What can I accumulate? What's the next thing that I can buy? Things, things. The problem is scripture says if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you see this indicator, it's probably a chance you've grown spiritually apathetic. Number three, we justify sin and live without truly fearing God. We justify our sin. We rationalize our sin. In today's culture, right, we rename our sin. So it doesn't sound as bad, right? It's not adultery. It's just an affair. It's not pornography. It's just adult entertainment. We rationalize. We rename our sin so it doesn't sound as bad. We justify it instead of fearing God. We begin to rationalize. We judge it away. We say, well, it's not so bad because it's just my one little thing. And you got lots of things. And so who are you to judge me anyway? Because you got issues of your own. This is just my one. We rationalize. We justify our sin. Number four, we believe in Jesus, but we rarely share our faith. We believe in him, but we rarely share our faith. I would be convinced. Why is it that so often we don't share our faith? I would be convinced that many people don't believe that the gospel is actually true. And the reason that we don't share it is maybe we don't believe in what we're sharing. If we really believe that there is a real heaven and a real hell, if we really believe that people were on this side without Christ, they were going to go to a very real place called hell, then we would live our lives to let our light shine at every moment. But sometimes we grow a little apathetic. Number five, we only turn to God when we need him. Come on, it is quiet in this church this Sunday morning. We only turn when we need. I'll step on every toe with all of these. We turn to him rather than seeking him daily. We treat him like a tool that's in the toolbox on the shelf. He just stays there. And then, you know, I need you. Oh, God, I'm in it. I'm in it. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. And then you can go back on the shelf. Instead of the God that we worship and pray to daily, instead of the God that we walk in relationship with, somebody got sick, oh God, help us, help us, help us. Now you can go back on the shelf. We don't seek him daily. We don't have that opportunity. We don't have that relationship. He's just a tool that we ultimately keep on the shelf. And then number six, we end up recognizing ultimately that we're not that much different than the world. At the end of all of these things, we end up recognizing that we're not all that different from the world that we claim to be different from. We watch the same things. We do the same things. We spend our money the same ways. We raise our kids in the same way. We do all of the same things. We call everything the same way. The same shots. We do these step in, step out. We still do these things. And then we spend our lives doing all of this. And yet we're not much different than the world. What are we? What are we when we find ourselves in that place that we don't see much of a difference between us and the world? If we claim to be transformed, to be forgiven... What are we then? Well, without realizing it, and oftentimes without intending it, we've grown spiritually apathetic. We've grown spiritually lukewarm, indifferent. What happens? Life just chokes out the passion. I'm not saying this, that somebody, like I said, somebody sat down and wrote, this is what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to become spiritually apathetic. That's just on my to-do list this week. But it's happened. We've grown lukewarm, and so life chokes out 
the passion. And some of you are going to wake up and realize after who he is, after what he's done, that we've grown spiritually apathetic. You're not cold. There's a purpose for that. You're not hot. You don't have the passion. There's a purpose for that. You're lukewarm. Just kind of meh. You want to go to church today? Meh. You want to live with a spiritual passion, live out the giftings he's given you? Meh. You want to lead somebody to Christ? Meh. I got stuff to do. I got, I got other things that I'm worried about. I got other things on my plate. I'm just not ready for that. This attitude doesn't just break his heart. It turns his stomach. This attitude, it doesn't just break the heart of God, and it does do that, but it turns his stomach. After what he gave to us, the gift he gave that we set it aside, we threw it in that teacher's wastebasket. We just kind of set it aside. It doesn't matter. For those of you that recognize you are a follower of Christ, those of you that recognize him as Lord and Savior, that you're hearing this today, and maybe one or two of these struck out to you. One of these said, how do you get it right then? How, how do we fix this spiritual apathy? How do, we, how do we make things? How do we reignite the passion for God? How do we reignite the passion for his word, for his grace, for the lost? How do we get that back into our lives? And we don't mean to. We don't mean to go apathetic route. We, I'm not saying you meant to, but I'm saying it's happened. And maybe one or two of these indicators stuck out to you. How do we reignite the passion? Here's what I want to do today. First, I want to tell you what I would normally tell you in a sermon like this. I want to kind of give you the list of what I would normally tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm actually going to tell you. All right, everybody, you understand kind of how that's working today. Because what I would normally tell you, and this would be a good list, all right? I'm not knocking anything on this list. But what I would normally tell you, we started the year with this, is to spend time in his word. It's his living word, his holy word, to spend time in fellowship with God in prayer, to spend daily time praying with God. And not just prayer, not just you talking, but you hearing from God, fellowship with him, to have that relationship, share your faith with people who are lost, fellowship with other believers. These are the things I would tell you, that you should fellowship with others. You pray for each other so you can be strengthened. You worship God daily as a part of who you are, an expression of your life, your relationship with him. Not just on Sunday mornings, but you worship him every day, every chance that you get. Just an expression back to him to turn from your sin. That when God and the Holy Spirit, when he, when he recognizes, when he points out a sin in your life, to turn from it, to ask for forgiveness, and then do a complete turn back to him and to seek him with everything that you have, to begin to seek the Lord. That's what I would tell you. That when he convicts you, you got to pursue Jesus with all the passion. You turn from the sin, you turn to him, you, you pursue him with everything that you've got. Those are all good things. Some of you, your hand's about to fall off. You've been trying to take notes as quick as you. Those are all good things. That's what I would tell you. The problem is if I give you all of those things, you get overwhelmed. If I was to do all of those things today, you get overwhelmed. And listen to me, you wouldn't do any of them. I give you, I've learned this, all right? I give you seven things, you do none, all right, everybody? Come on, we're church people, we understand. We can do about one thing, right, right? Just about one thing, give you one thing to juggle. But if I gave you all of them, you'd be overwhelmed. You probably wouldn't do any of them. So what I want to do, I want to give you one simple thing, something that I've been trying to do in my own life, all right? I just want to give you one personal, simple thing that we can do. And this one is actually not even mine. I wish I could take credit for it, but I had a brother in the Lord give it to me, and I want to give it to you. Just one simple thing that we can do to reignite the fire, to begin to reignite the passion. And honestly, I think this might be the best advice I give you all year, all right, everybody? So it's all downhill from here. You can take it or leave it. What is one thing we can do to reignite spiritual fire in our life? And jot it down if you're taking notes. That is take one step of faith every single day. Every single day, take one step 
in faith. Do something that requires faith. Do something that you need to step out in faith every single day. And so at the end of the day, I'm asking myself, what did I do today that required faith? What did I do today that required my faith in God in order for me to do it? What did I do today? And it may look different every single day, but every single day, do it. Every single day, do it. And what might it be? You might, you're going to stand up for somebody. Maybe somebody who's been made fun of, and I'm not talking at school, I'm talking in the office and in the workplace with adults, somebody that everybody else mocks and makes fun of. Maybe you're going to stand up for them because you've been called to love them with the love of Christ, and you don't know what's going to happen after you take that step. Maybe that's your step of faith for that day. Maybe you give a gift to someone that stretches you a little bit in your faith life. And maybe you could have sold it or you could have used it yourself, but no, you're going to give it in faith because you believe that it's better to give than to receive. And so you step out and you give that. Maybe you're going to ask for forgiveness from somebody and you don't know how it's going to be received and maybe it's not going to be received well at all. Or maybe you're going to give forgiveness to somebody who doesn't deserve it or maybe never even asked for it. Maybe you're going to step out in faith. Maybe you apologize to somebody who was hurt. Maybe you choose to forgive. Maybe you choose to step out every day something. And watch as faith begins to grow in your life. Watch as faith begins to reignite the passion. that Because what happens when we step out in faith? We're no longer consumed with what others think about us. We're consumed with what God thinks about us. When we step out in faith, we're no longer consumed with what the world thinks about us. Because every step we're taking, we're consumed with what God thinks about us. How God views us. Maybe you reach out to somebody that God's put on your heart. And maybe they've said no a thousand times. Maybe they've turned the gospel away a thousand times. But you're going to step out in faith and share it with them again to show them the love of Christ. Maybe you're going to expose yourself to something that breaks the heart of God and it breaks your heart. You're going to be righteously angry over it on behalf of God. You find something like that. You're going to step out and make a difference in this world. Every day, something that takes faith. We're going to begin to see we don't care about people's approval anymore. When we're living by faith, we're going to live for what lasts, not for what doesn't. When we live by faith, we get our eyes off of the world. We set our eyes on eternity. When we live by faith, God isn't just a tool on the shelf. No, no, God is a part of every single moment of our life because we're living in step with him. We're stepping out every day. We're doing something. And then instead of rationalizing our sin, what do we do? We turn from our sin. We ask for forgiveness. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And little by little, we're going to be transformed. Little by little, we're no longer conformed to the world's view of how we should be living. Little by little, we're no longer looking exactly like the world looks. Little by little, we're transformed into his image. Every day, something. Every day, taking a step. And then one day, we realize, we wake up. Just the same way we woke up and realized that maybe we were apathetic. One day, we'll wake up and realize we're transformed. We're not the same. We're not the same. There's passion again. This is actual fervor for the things of God. We reignite that in our lives. Every day something, every day a step. No more lukewarm, apathetic spirituality. Every day something that stretches our faith. God, I need you. I need your presence. I need your strength. In every moment, God, I need your power. I need you in my life. I need you to help me take this step because I can't without you. Every day something that we know we couldn't do on our own. Every day something that wouldn't be able to do under our own power. That we need God in the midst of it. Every day something that stretches our faith. And watch as it reignites the fire inside of us. Bow your heads with me in prayer today. Father, stir us up. God, we ask ignite the fire inside of every single one of our church. God, I ask you right now. 
If we find ourselves in a place of spiritual apathy, if we find ourselves in a place of lukewarmness, God, I ask you, stir up the passion again for things of God. Stir up the passion we had for those who are lost, Lord. Open our eyes again off of the things of this world and set them on eternity. Lord, we pray it. God, of humility and genuineness, we just pray that reignite the fire again. Give us that passion again. Let us step out in faith. Send us moments every day, God, that we can trust in you, that we can share our faith, that we can change this world for the kingdom. For those of you that you've been listening today and you say, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Christ, but I find myself maybe in a moment or in a season of apathy. I didn't mean to get there. I didn't intend for this to happen, but life kind of happened and that's where I find myself today. If that's you today, I just want to pray for you. There's no condemnation and I'll be the first one to raise my hand, but if that's you today, you say, pray for me. That's, that's where I'm at. Let this be the step of faith. Right now, you say, I just want to pray that God would reignite that fire. And we don't normally do that, but I just want to do that as a sign of encouragement to each other. If that's you today, you say, raise that fire. Just raise your hand right now across this room. You say, reignite that fire. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Lord, I thank you for all those who are raising their hands. God, that we've taken that first step. Lord, I pray just a prayer that you would reignite the passion in our lives, God. That right now we pray, Lord. Lord, that we didn't intend for it to slip into the season of apathy. We didn't intend for it to happen. But right now, God, we say we want to make it right. So we pray a prayer, Lord. Reignite the passion. Reignite the fire, God. Lord, let us serve you every single day, glorifying you for what you've done in our lives. God, glorifying you for who you are. I pray that in Jesus' name. As you keep praying today, I want all the churches to stay in prayer. There's some of you today and you said, well, I thought I was a Christian, but you've realized today that you're not. And you've recognized that maybe you had just enough of spirituality, just enough to feel comfortable, but you recognize you're not following Jesus. Maybe it looks like it on the surface, but you recognize your heart isn't where it needs to be. Some of you, ain't nobody thinking you're a Christian the way that you've been living. But you find yourself hurting in the midst of your sin. To you, I would say, go try it all. Try everything you can think about trying. And where will you find yourself still lost and broken, still hurting? Still hurting in the midst of your sin, because all of that doesn't answer. And so every head bowed, every eye closed today. I want to talk to those who are desperate. You've hit rock bottom. I want you to know the only place you can look is up. It's time to look up. Because this is how Jesus finishes the letter to Laodicea. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. In other words, I want into your life. In other words, I want to change you. Behold, I'm waiting to change you. I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. And I want you to hear this, those of you that you find yourself at rock bottom. You got nowhere else to turn. I want you to hear this today. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone if anyone, my Bible says anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done, I don't care how bad you think you are, if anyone opens the door, 
In other words, if anyone invites him into their life, if anyone surrenders to him, if anyone answers, he's knocking. If anyone answers, he says, I'll come in. In other words, I'll save you. I'll change you. If anyone answers the knock. You say, well, who is Jesus? Jesus is the sinless, perfect son of God who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He died in our place. He shed his blood so we wouldn't have to pay for our own sins. He died, was buried three days later, rose from the dead so that anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. For some of you, you are here in this room for this moment. Maybe you were invited. Maybe you just kind of wandered in. Maybe you're watching online. You are here for this moment. God has you here for this moment. Not any other part of the service for right now. And he's knocking. And he says, if anyone answers the call, if anyone surrenders, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, if you answer the call, If you surrender to him, he'll change you. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll not only forgive you, he'll change your life. He'll transform you. He'll give you spiritually new life. He wants to do that in your life. But you have to surrender. And so it would be our honor as a church to help you today to pray that prayer of surrender, to follow him. That's you today. He's knocking. Are you letting him in? He's knocking, he's calling, he's asking you, are you letting him in? It'd be our honor to help you pray that today. Everybody praying together, say, Jesus, forgive me. I surrender. I repent. I turn from my sins and I turn to you. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, come on, church, can we celebrate for the grace of God? Come on, can we have some passion for what God has done?